Hi, welcome to The School Run. I'm Jane. And I'm Liv. And we are going to share with you the best conversations we have on our school run. We will invite guests and debate topics that affect and resonate with every generation. We all remember our own school run. So maybe have a think about yours. What do you remember? everybody and welcome to another episode of The School Run. We are so excited about these chats, aren't we Liv? Yeah, super excited. It gets more and more exciting and the feedback that we get, the messages, the photos, the reviews, the comments, it's really overwhelming. So thank you so much for that. Today we are recording an episode with the wonderful, very talented Chris Markham. His his official title is Technical Performance Director. Wow, what industry could he be part of? Who knows? Um, Well, he's Technical Performance Director at Bolton Wanderers Football Club. So this is maybe one for the guys, one for for the boys out there looking for a career within sport, within football, finding out a little bit more about this role, but also girls because girls have... Well, they've been absolutely instrumental in football, I have to say, over the recent Come on, years. The, the Women's World Cup, that was just amazing. <laughs> Let's be honest. Uh, it sure was. So, well, I'm sure we'll have some interesting chats with Chris t- today. Um, he was previously at Huddersfield Town Football Club, where he was head of performance analysis. He was also head of game insights at the Football Association. Under the leadership of Gareth Southgate, he was instrumental in the project to ensure that England won a penalty shootout. I hope I've quoted that correctly. Um, But we will find out more and the truth from Chris, obviously. Um, He is father to two young girls who Olivia and I absolutely adore and are very special to us. He is husband to Grace, who has been on my journey with Little Voices for well over 10 years and I'm sure we may touch on that and he is a brother and son so a real family man Chris thank you for joining us no thank you so much feel a bit overwhelmed by that introduction so thank (laughs) you very much but that's your life isn't it that's the full spectrum I think we covered you did cover everything yeah it's uh, it is quite busy at the moment um which is good (laughs) but uh yeah no thank you very much for having me on no, we're really we're really thrilled, and you were one of the top guests that Olivia wanted to welcome on because of your, well, your sports background, the the interesting role that you have, and just because you're such a wonderful person. So, no, Olivia, you. ask away, ask about Chris. <laughs> I must say, before I start, I've been very impressed by Liv, so I'm a bit daunted about what these <laughs> questions might be. She's been brilliant. Oh, don't be! Things, I'm so. always nervous to ask uh-huh. uh, like questions to guests, like because I don't know. I never know how the conversation is going to go, so I just don't know what I'm going to ask. But hey, who you knows? Did brilliant. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think the first thing probably that everyone's wondering is what actually does your job entail, and what what do you do in in the football world? Uh, yeah, well, um, my current role, obviously, with Bolton Wanderers. Um, He's a, obviously, as you mentioned before, as technical performance director. Um, that is obviously involving um, working with the manager. First of all, Ian Everett, myself and Ian are, are very, very close. Uh, working closely with the with the board, 
um, and basically looking at a strategy around recruiting players mainly, uh, re- use of data and statistics and use of analysis to to help um, inform decisions basically by the manager who, who makes decisions on, you can imagine how many decisions he makes a day on everything from you know, training to, you know, managing a squad of 25, um, of, you know, of 25 athletes to managing his staff. And, you know, so any any information I can provide to him really on, on those three things. You're That's a key part that. of a team, aren't you? I mean, we just <laughs> look at the, the TV, Chris, and we look at football teams. Well, I do with my very naive <laughs> knowledge on sport and football. And you see the players kicking a ball, okay? But there's a huge amount that goes on behind the scenes and you're part of that massive team and a really instrumental part of it. Yeah, and there is so much, obviously. I remember, you know, particularly I've been a fan of football since I was three. I think I went to my first game with my dad. So I've always been fascinated, like you just mentioned there, what goes on behind the scenes. And I've somehow always wanted to get into. But even like, I don't think when I spoke to Ian uh, for the first time, you know, as, as a, he played, he had a very successful playing career before he went on to be a manager. And even he was saying the difference between finishing being a player to then going on to the staff and behind the scenes, even that's like a massive change. And even players probably at the time during when they're playing, they don't realise all that goes into it behind the scenes. So, yeah, I mean, obviously the industry as well has, has, has grown and changed so much over the last 20, 30 years and become a lot more like science. So, yeah, there is so much goes into it. Yeah, and it's so interesting because I always think, you know, in elite level sport, obviously the difference between each player and each team is literally minimal so all the work behind the scenes of like everything you do and probably all the other jobs really makes that difference to just be like one percent better than any other player because they're so so close at the top in terms of like skill and mindset and everything it's like people like you who obviously make that difference in looking at the fine fine details which i don't know i think i'd feel pressure with like (laughs) i don't know thinking that that's kind of your job in with all these like professional footballers. It is there is a lot of pressure in it, like you mentioned quite rightly. The the sort of margins are so small. The margin for error. I remember one of the first conversations I had when I first met uh, met with my mentor, which hopefully we'll get into um, as, as we go through my journey. But it was I remember him saying from a phys- from a physical standpoint, if you put every player's data from all ninety two clubs from Arsenal to Accrington. You would, you might struggle to pick which team was which because the margins of physical preparation are so are so fine at the top level. You know, elite athletes, as you quite rightly mentioned. So you are trying to look for differences in, you know, particularly the psychological aspect and and how people think about the game. So, you know, it's, it it really is, you know five margins for error but to play devil's advocate I also think at some levels you know people talk a lot about one percenters and the one percents only matter if you've got what 95% of all the other stuff the fundamentals the basics and you'd be amazed how many times even at elite level sport that you probably look there and think we're not even doing the basics you know consistently so I think that's really interesting that's that's my little thing about one percenters that they're only good if you've got the rest of the 95% and can you can everyone truly say that they've got the habits consistently that give you the ninety five percent? And you know, I think that's probably more what sets the best 
best, best, best out from the others. It's not the one percenters, it's the 95% that they do consistently. It's really interesting that, and it's interesting to have Chris on today, isn't it? Because obviously in a previous episode, we talked with an elite sports person in Gary Keady. Yeah, who played professional professional cricket for 23 years, which is, you know, I mean, that's just legendary, isn't it? Unbelievable. Um, and actually the people he worked with, which were, were you giving analysis and then psychologists and, and looking at the 1%, and actually he was saying, you know, after all of the... Um, the games where you where you're struggling, there's, there's a win on the way, or there's the, there's better stats for you on the way, and it was yeah. so it's really interesting to hear it from your side and perspectives of the team, albeit football, but it all links into so many different life careers and and job roles, doesn't it? Hundred percent. Like sport is, you know, I feel like lucky to have worked in sport because uh, lucky and unlucky sometimes because ultimately, unlike a lot of other areas of life come Saturday at 3 o'clock or Tuesday at 7.45, you get clear results. You either win, you draw, or you lose. And sometimes it's difficult to like lose sight of that because you know we've you know we've just recently won won two games 5-0 back to back and then got to Wembley and then we have a couple of bad performances and all of a sudden you forget the five nils and going to Wembley because you're worried and concerned that you've not won the latest game. So it, it it does teach you a lot of lessons about life, and there's so many similarities between you know any industry and sport. Uh, I just think it, sport can you know the competitiveness of it, and not just on the field. Everything about you just said off it. It, it. It's so it's it really does teach a lot of good lessons. It sure does. So I suppose let's let's go back then for your journey. Chris and and life at school and and what led you to where you are today I suppose my burning question within that journey is did you as a young lad want to be a professional footballer or was it you know because that's what young lads want you see them kicking footballs outside and going to teams and the mums taking them to academies and dads and doing all of that was that the dream was that the goal was there something different for you I'd just love to know all about that really (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that was the goal. I wanted to be a professional footballer. Not as much as my dad wanted me to be a professional footballer, but um, <laughs> I, I was desperate to be one. Um, we, Where I lived growing up with my dad and then obviously with my mum was um, like quite remote. So I, it was oftentimes me in the back garden with the football, like just enacting everything I was going to do when I was older. Um, I was I was an all right player at, at school. Uh, the one thing I probably was in all the sports teams that I play with, football and cricket, I was always the captain. So I think that probably said more about uh, maybe the social side of it, which is obviously important to everything, you know, in all businesses. But um, so that was something that I felt sport gave me, you know, outside of, you know, wanting to be a professional and, and what have you. But, as, you know, I, I quickly realised I wasn't going to be a professional, really. Um, physically, I mean, I don't like running a lot and long distances. <laughs> so uh, I was like, I quite enjoyed I was a centre, I played at the back, I was a centre back at school. And then I got a bit of a trial with the football league team who then went down and went bust and, you know, I, I, that was it for my professional career dream, if you like. And I think... Okay. That was, you know, that was sort of a, I was, my household was sport mad. Like my dad is obviously a huge influence and, and is sport mad, not just football, cricket, rugby, golf, and anything would go and anything would be on. And my mum was exactly the same, um, my mum and, and dad. So we didn't, myself and my sister Emma, we didn't really stand a chance other than to, you know, be around sport. And I think if you asked Emma, she would, uh, she'd laugh because she'd obviously every Sunday morning be sat in the car 
watching me from the sideline with a colouring book while I'm while I'm playing <laughs> on the sidelines. So I think she probably feels a bit neglected. Um, oh, but now boy. she's she's a massive football fan. She goes every week and she's really knowledgeable about it. And you know, I, I absolutely love that relationship that that gives uh, her and my dad. So yeah, mm. that was sort of the football, um, the, the the play inside of it, if you like. But what. What I suppose as I was coming through school, I quickly learned was that, uh, and when I was probably growing up a bit more, um, was that I, I was really intrigued as to, and when my dad conversation, my dad watching sport, particularly watching English sport back when I was growing up as a teenager, we always had competitive teams, but we were never the best in the world at anything. And when it got to the certain stage, out, we'd always let ourselves down, whether it be a, an Ashes game at cricket, whether it be a an Olympic sport, whether it be a penalty shootout or football, obviously, which we'll come on to in a bit. Um, I always thought it's this is this isn't a physical thing, this isn't a skill thing, it's a mental thing. And I used to speak about that, like from quite a young age with my dad, and he was obviously probably really important in developing that sort of idea. But um, that's something that I suppose I always had in the back of my mind, just, uh, you know, growing up and understanding, like, having a bit of intrigue about how, why that might be. But at that point, um, obviously, when I was doing, I'd have been, what, 14 at that point, say 13, 14, and you don't study, like, psychology or anything at, at your GCSEs. And I remember at school, I was one of them, a bit like what Gary said, uh, all you know really should have should have been a high achiever really clever but probably a bit of a not a class clown because I would always do the work but a bit of a social animal probably enjoyed chatting and having a laugh about things more than I did about the work and so many of my school reports were doing well but could be doing a lot better um, yeah. and I think that was that was something that um yeah sort of was a constant really even going up to university <laughs> even going up but to it university must be true. I mean yet again we're having that conversation on the school run podcast that actually what happens at school doesn't have to shape the future no and actually probably fundamentally your conversations with your dad and your conversations with your mum actually help to shape you into oh, where what direction to go in I mean, this is something con not controversial, but I remember like my dad would take me out of school for a day when I was, say, 14, 15, and he'd be going on a, maybe on a work to do if he had someone, he'd take them to the test match or take them to a, a sports day. And he'd have a, you know, as a work thing, and someone would drop out at the last minute, and rather than waste the ticket, he would sort of say, you're coming. And that's obviously not, I'm not, I'm not condoning that to anybody, but I look, <laughs> I look back now and think I learned so much on those days. Talking to like business, really successful businessmen. My dad was a salesman, and I was almost like his assistant salesman at 15. And you know, stuff like that you learn out of school and what you can shape outside of that. Like having a job when I was 14 that I hated. Yeah. I used to hate it. Um, yeah. Like thinking, right? There's got to be something else out there. And what you know, there's so much that you can learn during those years that isn't to do with school. Like I remember one of my first um, sort of first recollections of, of high school was like a teacher that I really didn't like and really didn't get on with, and I'd be in detention every day. And that, I'm not a naughty <laughs> kid. Uh, and my mum, my mum was working at school in the office, and I. I'd be going in, she'd be going, you're in here again? And I'm like, well, <laughs> yeah. But as it turned out, it, it got to the point where we had to have a, have a chat with this teacher and it was more because 
he liked talking to me about sport and stuff on a lunchtime and it was just like a, so basically there's a lot of things where even at that age I got my GCSEs I did did quite well I got I think I got an A star in PE which was because I was interested in it everything yeah. else was a, a B and you loved and, it and you probably and had a great it. teacher and I had yeah. a great teacher I had an A star in that B's and everything else and a C and maybe even an E in religious studies or maybe something but (laughs) you know the A star was what I was really interested in what I was really passionate about and you know I think the power of having a good teacher like is so is is, is so important like people who I I think about now Um, yeah absolutely massive I think that's really interesting just because like you said you got a A star in P like I'm doing P at the moment and it's by far my favourite subject like I was literally, we're doing sports psychology at the moment and we're doing a lot of like, you know, doping in sports and should it be legal, should it be illegal? And I remember on Friday I was driving home with my dad and for our 40-minute journey home, we were literally debating about doping in sports because I mm. found it that interesting. Yeah. And the weird thing is, is so many people have told me, you know, don't pick P for A-level, you know, because it's not a strong subject and it's not what universities want to see. But, like, it's something that I'm really interested in. Yeah. And I think that's why, you know, people, like, children my age who, like, maybe going on to the A-levels or they should know that you don't have to do what they call as like these strong subjects like maths, English, like do something that you love because, yeah. you know, you're going to enjoy it. 100%. I mean, this is this sort of where we're, it's a good sort of point to mention that when I've been listening to obviously the stage that you're at and obviously I've got a, a niece who's just gone through all this, just gone 18, so she's obviously been listening to her and talking about her with all her choices and stuff and it is so daunting. Like, I wanted to be, I suppose, at this point, you're right now, I was like, I'm going to be a, if I can't play, I'm going to be a physio. Uh, you know, everyone, so you get to run on the pitch, you get to, everyone's going to look at you, you get to treat the players, you get to know players. And then I went and spoke to people at the careers team, and it was like, right, well, you've got to have chemistry, biology, um, all these different things. And I'm like, chemistry? Like, I am <laughs> no chance. Like, I'm not good at chemistry. I don't like chemistry. So I was picking my um, uh, I, w- I was picking my A levels, and I picked three. I think I picked biology because so I thought, well, stick with stick with that one. Uh, it, a non-negotiable was uh, PE uh, because I just loved it. And then I think uh, the other what you picked for, and then I had business studies because I liked that and was quite good. And obviously, I thought it's a good one to fall back on. You know, my mum and dad probably thought it was a good idea too. And then I was left with one to pick. And it's probably, when I look back, that that choice that I made then, randomly, probably shaped the rest of my career without knowing it at the time. Because I thought, right, what kind of, there's like history, sociology. And there was one one subject that I'd not had chance to do before and I didn't, I, I was intrigued about. And that was psychology. So I decided, right, a bit of a wild card. If I don't like it, I can drop it after one year at AS and sack it. Um, and that's when, like, speaking about the bad teacher I had, the best teacher I ever had um, came in, like, came into my life, so to speak. And he had, he didn't, he was part time, so he didn't teach. He only taught in sixth form. I stayed on at sixth form in the same school I was at. And he had a real reputation as being a real sort of, like, it was old school. He was old school, so a real disciplinarian, 
didn't take any nonsense, you know, would swear in his lessons and that, which you think you would be thought was cool at the time. But, um, <laughs> you know, it was like, it, it, and from the very first day that I was in there, I was like, and he was talking about it, and I was thinking, right, well, I love PE, and this is so interesting, and this guy is amazing. Right. And like from that one, I was like, right, I want to, I want to be a sports psychologist. I want to do sports psychology. I'm clear now. Um, and that, that's then when I decided, started looking straight away for sports psychology degrees. Um, and eventually um, uh, ended up doing a sports psychology degree. Um, I got onto it. I did all right in my A-levels. Again, probably the same. Probably could have done, could have done better. But got, uh, got, got the degrees, uh, and, and the, sorry, got the grades that I needed to start the degree at the University of Central Lancashire in Preston. Um, and to be honest, the, the, the degree that I chose, the, the first part of it was probably just pure psychology. Like the first three years, there wasn't much sports. It was the one module, like all the other stuff, but that was probably what they wanted to see, the grounding, so that if you were going to, you know, being a psychologist, it's not just a title, it's it's a proper, you know, you, there's, there's got to be some sort of governance about it because I think there's a lot of people these days who can call themselves mindset coaches or psychologists who, you know, maybe haven't got, it's, it's, it's quite a, a big uh, responsibility. Um, to be able to speak to speak to people about their mental health and try and improve things and 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 talk about things. So I think that was important, but it only was then when <laughs> it's a similar it's a similar story that <laughs> let's just say I enjoyed uni um, and a lot, a lot, <laughs> a lot, uh, too much, um, and uh i it, it got to the point where i needed a 2-1 if i wanted to stay on and actually do the bit that i came for which was sports psychology but that would have been a masters and when my results came through my dissertation came back and i knew what i got i was like two percent off and at that point i remember being at home and i was like that's it i'm done and, and my dad was like not happy and i was like no i'm not <laughs> i refuse i refuse to not go on this master he's like well you could just you know maybe you could just you know try and get a job in sales like i did or you know he was trying to be helpful and i was like listen no way like i'm not i'm not gonna do it i'm not interested so i rung that gritty night determination gritty oh, determination you'd set so, your mind on something oh, so that night i rung i rung the course leader and he rung me back and I remember on the house phone I'm quite old now and and I remember being upstairs and saying listen I remember his name Dave I was like Dave you're gonna have to let me on this course and he was like well, <laughs> well what do you mean you've you've not got the grades I'm like well you, you, you're you gonna have to because I'm not gonna do anything else you know this is what I'm gonna do this is what I'm meant to do I took the course that I, you know and I did really well in the sports psych module of it and my dissertation was to do with sports psych which was which was okay and mm -hmm. I remember like, this is the bit that I came for. This is the bit that I've spent all my time doing. And um, and eventually he rung me back in the morning and said, I've thought about it. No one's ever done this before and I've never done this before, but we'll see you in September. So I love that. I love that lesson <laughs> for, for young people listening, Chris, to take that away that you, you'd found your passion, you'd found mm. your purpose, you knew you wanted it, and then you took the initiative. Mm. And I think... And that Look, I, 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 but I do. I don't think that my attitude towards probably the three things I said at school, where I could have tried harder at that point. I think that was the the, the switch in my in in my life. Though to be like, right, you got to grow up now. You can't keep doing this. In the, if you get into the big wide world, 
you know, not trying your best because you're having the fun doing something else isn't going to cut it. Um, so I, I think the main thing that, you know, and I, I agree there, like the determination, but the word for me is like resilience and I'm yeah. quite passionate about it. And I think if someone, you know, when we get onto the later questions, like resilience for me is the number one thing. If you don't have like no, not one person in this world has ever had a perfect life and a perfect journey. And for me, a lot of it is about how you react to the setbacks. And that's why I say like working in sport has taught me that a lot, even probably more than I already had. You're going to lose. You're going to lose all the time. And that doesn't mean that you're bad. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. that you're not good enough. And that was like the first start. I've been like, right, I've had quite a setback here. I've not got onto the course. Right, what do I do? I either be resilient and come back and say, right, no, let me on and I'll show you. And I actually got a way better mark grade on my master's than what I did on my undergraduate. So yeah. I proved to him that I, what I'd said was true. I'd back my word up and I went and did it. Um, and you delivered, You absolutely delivered. What do you delivered. take away from that, Liv? Yeah, I just, I mean, I just think a lot of people now, you know, when you're told something, you think, oh, you know, like if you got told, oh, you didn't get the grade, oh, well, you know, I'll just try something else. I feel like not many people, you know, have that thing. Well, I've been told no, but... No, I'm I'm gonna do it because you know that's like what I'm here to do. That's what I'm passionate about, and like you need to if you want something that badly, then you have to like you said you have to be resilient and push through. Otherwise, you're not gonna get anywhere. You're just gonna like stay in your comfort zone and just you know have a nice I don't know yeah. comfortable life. Like pushing yourself and you know really like pushing your boundaries and getting yourself out your out your comfort zone that's where like the most change in you and yourself is going to happen hi everyone we hope you're enjoying this episode so far we're just cutting in to say if you're enjoying our podcast please click the follow button on whichever platform you're listening on and please leave us a review we'd be so grateful for your support and feedback podcasts are free to listen to but if you are loving our school run chats and debates please consider buying us a virtual coffee the link will be in the description of every podcast episode and it will also be in the bio of our instagram which is at the school run under official and why not give it a follow while you're there so you can see all the updates and get sneak peeks at upcoming episodes thank you so much and happy listening i wish i could think like that at your age uh, it's amazing <laughs> it is amazing it baffles me but in, the way that she thinks is great but mad. actually what it is mad it is what's so really good. lovely about this chris really selfishly is we started this podcast to just we thought my mum and dad would listen Maybe Grace, maybe yeah. Eleanor, and definitely uh -huh. Auntie Hannah. But you know, we didn't expect to get you know the listener yeah. level that we have done, and the and the quality of guests like you saying yes to come and chat to us. But really, selfishly, as a mum, this is helping Liv to understand and navigate this tricky year of GCSEs, and also yeah. go, do you know what? There's a whole host of opportunity out there, and if Liv wants to go and do PA level, and she's happy, and that makes her happy, go and do it. You know, yeah. and. <laughs> I like the fact that she's researching these different careers. Yeah, um, amazing. That there's someone on who's an, an ex-detective sergeant. We've got an MP coming on with all sorts of different career journeys. And I think it's just do what makes you happy. Have that determination. and um, Don't give up. Don't yeah, give up. Yeah, don't give up. And I mean, I, I listened to what you said in the last one, Jane, about um, last one or the one, uh, one of the previous ones. And it was about like, yeah, it's a piece of paper that says I wrote some things down on one day that you're judging me on. Or I submitted a mm -hmm. few assignments. 
Um, mm. For me, like, and this was something that my dad was used to sort of speak about a lot, and he, you know, he'll listen to this and he'll be proud that I've said how wise he is. But you know, yeah. you, you, there's three things that he always used to say that will go to make make you been really successful. One is obviously your intelligence or your knowledge about a subject, which essentially is judged by pieces of paper with grades on whether we like it or not but that's only one yeah. part of three things second is how hard you work and being the hardest worker around but the, the the final thing is and this is what i was saying earlier about when you used to take me to the cricket and now i see about how how that changes and it, me and emma were so lucky that he took us on amazing holidays as my mum did we experienced loads of different cultures and um, things like that but it's about the social aspect of it and as i've gone forward in in my in my career so far and having an amazing mentor that I did, which we'll speak about is it's all the social bit for me is the biggest bit because if you can form relationships with people, then you've got a chance of being able to get anywhere and, and do anything and build networks. And that for me is way more important. Like when I said I improved my grade, I was by nowhere near the best student in my master's class, but I would look back yeah. and think, hopefully, I'm up there with maybe being one of them, being able to be one of the most successful, and actually still working in the field that I studied in. Um, so yeah, that's and that's in really a world important. class field. I mean, yeah, yeah. Don't, we we can't underplay this. You know, football no. is a very very competitive oh. industry. It, it contains an awful lot of money and mm. and necks on the line. It's yeah. I would imagine quite cutthroat. Oh, it's toxic. And, and, and you're surviving, but you're also thriving. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we obviously at Bolton, we obviously we, we we like to think that we're doing things differently, and I think we are. That comes from above. We've got a fantastic uh, female owner called Sharon, who is backed by the board, which is something that, again, as female owners, are not not as common as they should be. And I, I feel it's brilliant working there, and we try and do things differently. Mm -hmm. But we speak about, and I've had experience with all that experience and heard stories in the industry. It's so toxic, you know. It's the beautiful game, but the horrible industry. Because there's so many people want to work at it. Like, for, mm. for every, I put a job out and it was, you know, a low entry job um, that, you know, the salary wasn't great and it was working, you know, probably unsociable hours, this, that, the other. And we got like 550 applicants for it. We're like pilots. Wow. I had a pilot apply for it. Like a pilot wanted yeah. to go from X amount of thousands to what we were offering, like just yeah. to be involved in the game. So, and that the, the very nature of it being so competitive means what people tend to do is instead of focusing on their job and trying to improve and get better, they're just looking over their shoulder all the time to try and protect mm -hmm. themselves. And mm -hmm. if that means pushing somebody else down and out of the way, they'll do it. So wow. it's it's it like I remember we did a again just we did a, a recruitment thing while I was at the FA about trying to recruit people to join our team uh, or like a team that we uh, on a project we were working on and it was you know to to university students who were coming out of uni and we basically said we're going to try and put them off so we just basically for two hours told them how horrible it was. How, you know, some, <laughs> some of our stories about how coaches speak to you, some of the late nights, some of your, your work being lost because a hard drive's broken and then you're in, un, you know, some how horrible it was to then see which there were the, the resilient ones who were going to apply. Um, yes, yeah. You know, and it, it's awful. Um, and it, it's not how any business should be run. And that's, that's you know, that's just how, like, like I said, that's how hopefully that at Bolton we try and set a different culture. But it is so hard because the industry is so competitive. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, what I think is, you know, we've just been doing this in sports psychology and PE, but talking about how, you know, sport 
you know, it does bring like the world together and it's a great thing. But at the end of the day, it is a business. Mm. And I was wondering when you said about the recruitment thing, those people who come for it, do you think it's about, you know, the actual passion for the sport and actually wanting to make, you know, football and sport a better place, more fair, everything? Or do you think it's more just about, you know, like the money and just kind of, being part of football because that's yeah, the, you know what everyone the, every yeah, the, little kid dreams of yeah the sexy side of it like <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think that's a good point I think I'm a bit of I'm a bit of a softy really so I'd like to think certainly I came in wanting to make a difference and wanting to change it and not getting into it for the money or you know having a training kit or whatever but I'd say I don't know it's so specific to the individual um, I would say you know that the level of money in the game probably means you do attract people who are getting into it for the wrong reasons but the nature of the industry and of football like you describe is so you know everyone can understand it everyone can have an opinion of it and everyone's passionate a lot of people are passionate about it so I think you do get people who are genuinely passionate about working it and look I must say like oh there's a lot of money in it there's not a lot of money in it as well in certain areas because you know there's some terrible pay and conditions at clubs and in academies because the clubs know that you know all right if you don't take this money there's another 500 that will so next yeah. and it, it, you know in, it, at the very 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 top end of course it's amazing and it's brilliant but like you know going back onto my journey when I first started at Huddersfield um you know I I ended up, um, so maybe it just works to tell the next part of the story, if, that, if that's all right. Um, yeah, absolutely, it, it, yeah, go. Because it leads on to sort of getting to the point I was trying to get to about about the pay. But as I was finishing my master's, um, I'd been working, you know, I worked at pubs, I worked at agencies for different, you know, for the NHS, inputting data. Uh, I, I worked at an outbound call centre once, which lasted one shift. Um, but then, <laughs> but then, as I was finishing my masters, um, I approached uh, Huddersfield Town, which is my local club, club I support since I was three, um, and approached them, sent an email. Um, my dad told me to send it to, and it got passed on to a guy who, who was there at the time. Huddersfield would be managed by Lee Clark, and one of his main staff um, was a guy called Steve Black. And Blackie, um, he was like the the face of psychology at the club and like was quite forward thinking that such a, at the time, small club in League One were employing a sports psychologist who has worked with some of the best athletes in the world. He'd been with the British Lions, Johnny Wilkinson. Uh, you know, the, the, the list was endless. Um, boxers and anything. And he had such a good reputation. And basically, I approached him, uh, sent him an email and he got back to me um, saying, yeah, go on we'll meet because I just said look I'd love to just meet for a coffee to find out what I do next I've just finished my I'm finishing my masters it seems like a good time to find out what I could do next and I sent this to a few people and he got back and said yeah of course like I'd love to um, and we eventually went back and forth and arranged a meeting uh, in Acosta um, and we, I'm thinking 20 minutes and we were there like three and a half hours and wow. that, that that moment then um, was when I met my mentor and met the biggest mm -hmm. influence, you know, outside my family of my whole life. Um, and just him having him spend that time with me, first of all, and I think it'd be good to have a separate conversation about mentors. But 
Yes. In terms of how it got me into the field, he basically said, just come and be with me. Like, you got no job title. You're not going to get paid. You just, you know, give the opportunity to come in and see how professional football works. So I was like, absolutely, like, no problem. But then think, my dad's then saying, well, how are you going to afford to live? So <laughs> I'm like, yeah, good point. So basically, at that point, I um, went to another to another agency um, and I was working at a pub and I managed to get a job working uh, in an inbound call centre for the NHS when your GP's out of hours. So basically, okay. it was an out of hours job. So I would get up, get to work for six at, at the call centre. So I'd be answering the phone, you know, till nine, nine thirty. Then from nine thirty, I would go to the club and get there for ten, do training, go away afterwards, spend some time with Blackie, and then go back to work at like four until maybe ten to twelve, depending on how long the shift was. Um, answering obviously when the GPs were closing. So yeah. I did that for a year. Um, and wow. obviously that was that was really stressful. That was it was full on, but I absolutely loved it because it was what I wanted to do. But my point being, like, to, sorry, go around the houses, but I didn't get paid, and then I so I didn't get paid a penny. So I was pretty much working nine till four at Huddersfield, going to a lot of the games, and it was work experience. You know, I didn't get yeah. I didn't get paid a penny. So the people don't see that side of it and there are thousands more stories similar to mine that will be still going on today of people that are passionate about it and want to get in and, and do well but it's, it's just so competitive but you said you know what I, what I pull out of that for people listening is you said yes to an opportunity that was presented yeah. to you and although maybe your family or your dad was saying but what about this Chris and being the the rational yeah. thinking you said yes to an opportunity and dad I'll make it work yeah. do you know what I mean I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll make this work somehow I'll be um you know creative and I'll yeah. get another job around it but you took that opportunity you said yes but also to that mentor to your mentor who I know who's had an, an incredible impact on your life yeah um and grace and 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 you know you'll you'll take his teachings into your family forever Not I'm forever. sure yeah 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 for absolute ever but he but he also got a sense of who you were and yeah and, and later on like that's nice that you say that because later on he said we we'd often talk about um you know when we first started and stuff and spending all our days in the costas talking and things like that but um he, he said like you don't think i got back to everyone do you because obviously <laughs> i'm presuming a lot of people would have approached him and he said some reason you know, I took a shine into you and then obviously I've been meant for 20 minutes, you know, um, we, we then, you know, we, we really hit it off. And, you know, I think one thing like I've said about the teacher that was really inspired me, but a mentor, like I can't stress enough how, like, how much I would recommend it. But it's so, I think they're so hard to find like genuine ones that are really good. Like I can't like speak enough about Blackie I mean sadly he passed away just over a year ago and you know really left a big hole in everyone who he knows who he knew's life and particularly mine and obviously like you mentioned obviously our family like we, um, we really miss him um, mm. and it was just one of those things where every, you know he really genuinely cared like I was his friend and yes that having a mentor who completely would say yeah would listen to you but would still offer you rational advice but you felt heard you felt listened to and particularly like in my early days when look I was going into a room as a young kid and <laughs> I went in as a psychologist 
And the way that I ended up in analysis, uh, as you mentioned, I was head of analysis at Huddersfield, not psychology, was essentially I was the only one who knew how to work a laptop because I was a lot younger than all the other staff. You know, they were all ex-players. They had maybe like Derek Fazakli, who's a Blackburn legend, played 800 games. Terry McDermott, who obviously the older people who maybe listen to this will remember, won Champions League with Liverpool and like a legend. Lee Clark, Mm. really talented player, played in the Premier League. Steve Watson, Paul Stevenson. Like there was maybe 2,000 top level appearances in, in that room. And I still felt heard because Blackie encouraged me and would say, no, do you know what? You're right. Like we would go and have conversations about what we'd seen that day. And it gave me a huge amount of confidence. And I see a lot of younger people who come into the industry now, like they're very, you know, I I wouldn't have had that confidence had it not been for him. And Mm. he encouraged me that, you know what? Your views and opinions are right. If you put them across in the right way, they'll be well received. Yeah, and they matter. Your opinion matters. Your opinion matters. Yeah, and that's that's incredible for, again, young people to think, you know, you've spoken how we've spoken about teachers that inspire us, but mentors and finding that person. And and for me, I've had some wonderful mentors in my business life and they said to me, you know, Jane, pay it forward. Yeah. Do for someone else what you did for what 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 I did for you. And that's all I ask of you. Yeah. And, and I've actually, and I know that I'm living that every day because yeah. I mean, I spoke to someone this morning for an hour to help them with something with their franchise and, you know, or, or a teacher that's wanting to leave the profession or set up yeah. drama and singing lessons. You know, I will pay forward and you probably feel the same. Yeah, I do. I've, I like uh, when, as I get older, I mean, I'm still 36. So I think as I get older, I hopefully, I feel like I've got opportunity to do that now. And there's certain people I hope that I am that figure too, because I, like you say, I want to pay it forward. And I feel, you know, that's something as part of my legacy towards Blackie that like, I'm sure you do with your mentors. Like, that's what you want to do. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's just, it's so important. You feel so lucky to have someone that empowered you that much to believe in yourself because in an industry where it would be easy to be shot down, um, mm. he really gave me that um, that belief in myself just by listening to me and being heard. And, and don't get me wrong, like he told me things I didn't want to hear as well. So like I got another opportunity to work in another sport for free on top. And he was like, no, you're doing enough for nothing. Like the more you do for nothing, the less value you'll have. So people say, well, why does he do everything for nothing? Yeah. And just stuff like that was just, you know, an incredible... Yeah, yeah, like, so he kept you in your lane almost. Yeah, he kept, he kept, kept well. me in my lane and he was, you know, constantly he was massive on Kaizen you know, improve, small improvements every day. As I've said, a Japanese Japanese philosophy, like, you know, all you have to do is is worry about improving slightly every day and control, like, stay in your lane, like, be you, focus on what you're doing every day, and if you keep getting better, eventually you'll be the best version of yourself. Um, And just, just, you know. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's so good, because I think now, especially in sport, when, you know, to say you have a mentor um, and he's, you know, giving you, like, listening to you and giving you all this knowledge on football and you pass it on, especially when it's so competitive in sport, you, it's those genuine people that are really good mentors because you never know the information you're giving. They could end up going working for yeah. a team that then you're playing against, but... It's and I think a lot of people now it's all about you know it's me versus them it's this team versus that team when actually when you come together it's football as one 
yes, it's split into different teams. This is like not just in football, not just in sport, no, no. like in any job, you know, it's not just you versus that team. It's not just you in this job versus someone else to get a promotion or whatever it is. It's everyone as one. And I yeah. think people now, because whether it's money driven or, you know, they want the the status and everything, it's like, you know, do it on your own. But I think working together, you get so much further if you work together as a unit. No, oh, you're so wise, Livy. I love it. Um, it, it is, but you're absolutely right. Like, and that was what Blackie was like, and that's just what your mum's saying there about paying it forward. And you know, you always someone that sticks with me now all the right. And it's so hard in football because, like you say, there's so many oh, cowboys or charlatans, whatever you want to call them, who are out for their own personal gain because of what I described earlier. Because it's so competitive, self-preservation. I'll put you down or missing, give you misinformation or whatever. You've got to be really, really careful who who you trust. And I was just lucky that I managed to get the best um, person who who was there for me. And I'll, I can and I was just, I used to say this to him, which is why I feel like I can say it now, even though he's not here. There's nothing I can ever do to repay you. And he and he didn't want it wasn't anything about that. But he was like, well, yeah, you can just keep being you and you know yeah. do like what you're saying pay it forward like and, and said, excel because that brings excel. so much pride 100 100% I remember him and I remember saying one time like so I'd work with him and then he left the club and then as as time evolved you, you know you're thinking oh bloody neck I've worked with him and no one's ever going to be as good as him and I remember saying to him I wish I'd have met you later and I'd have seen <laughs> what was bad and he was like you're totally wrong and I was like why he said because Maybe if you'd met, you met me first, but maybe if you'd met them first, you might think they were good. And I was like, yeah. wow, yeah, that's that's a really good point. Yeah. So, <laughs> totally like, turning it on its head. Yeah, to really be able to, like, particularly in, in that industry, as I mentioned, like, it, it's it's really something that he, you know, the, 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 I could speak all day about him, but in, in, in terms of giving, being able to give that advice and support, um, in like you say, Liv is what is you know such a competitive industry. Would always just say, listen, do the right thing. You know what your moral compass is, and he used to say, I can tell you've been brought up properly. Do the right thing, and you know, and it still mm. lives with me to this day. Like, yeah, yeah, for making a big decision, for making yeah. a big decision, I just do it. Just do the right thing. Like, what is the right thing? Yeah. It might not be the thing that I want to do. I'd love to go and do this, but I do the right thing. And I think, you know, if you do things with good intentions and integrity, like you say, Jane, like you pay it forward. Yeah, absolutely. Again, if you if you do the right thing, then like you're setting you're setting that up for people to come. Like yeah. if you know, like when you've finished your job in the football industry, someone is gonna come in and take that place. And if you've you know, if you can be that mentor and set that up for them, then it's only going to make sport a much better place if there's yeah. more of those people around. Totally, about leaving so, a legacy in anything that you do. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, huge mentor. And I think to young people, find, I was always taught that I look for those that are doing really well, try and spot them, think outside the box, write a letter, just yeah. try and open those networks up. Be 100%. a bit creative. You don't, it's not about A levels, universities. No, like you so rightly said, and your dad taught you, one of those things is the social side, the relationships, the networking, keeping those things open. Well, Blackie, um, as you say, no one, no one cares how much you know till they know how much you care. Like, yeah. that's it. 
you know, I could have the best qualifications ever, but if you don't want to listen to what I'm saying, if you're not going to be able to like me or be able to think that I'm interested in you and want you to do well in some level, you're not going to listen. So, no, not at all. Not at all. So Head of Performance Analysis at, at Huddersfield, which was your passionate team that you'd followed yeah. since you were three. Yeah. And then obviously on to working with Gareth Southgate, the FA, yeah. and yeah. a penalty shootout, which was just incredible. Tell us a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah, that was, it still seems a bit surreal now, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I was lucky enough um, to work with some really good people at the FA. I was part of the Game Insights team um, that worked within, obviously, the analysis and coaching sector. And I uh, worked with Gareth. And one of the first tasks, I was my job was not really to work with one team as such, but to lead a group of analysts based on, uh, to, you know, working on how can we get better by basically thinking outside the box. So game insights, how can we get better at this? How can we use better data? How can, and obviously Gareth with his past, um, I joined in 2017 and his first, his first project on my list was, right, how do we win a penalty shootout at the World Cup in Russia in 2018? So, and obviously as having been, as I told you about those things that I've been thinking about with my dad, and then the background of what I had as psychology that I'd never really been using other than sort of um, in a in a covert way during my job as an, an analyst. It was like, God, it was like the dream. Like if yeah, you'd have told, it was bringing it all together, uh, wasn't it? If, if you'd have told 14, 15-year-old me that, I, I would never have believed you. Like never. So, but it was really good. We managed to, you know, it was just obviously the FA is a, a really successful um, and reputable organisation, and we had a good budget to be able to go and like I said, well, what's a do it like? There's a blank canvas. Speak to everyone. Speak to industry experts. Do what you need to do, and you know, come back with some recommendations. And then obviously worked with Gareth and his staff um, of coaches and analysts to do um, deliver. Um, a, a really sort of thorough process and piece of research to the players ahead of Russia, and um, yeah, we that you know never forget that night uh, when we beat Colombia on penalties in the first time England had ever won a penalty shootout at the World Cup, and I've still got memories now of the you know just after the game finished, getting a text message and then a call off Gareth and his staff and thanking us. I was back uh, in England because I was also heading up the opposition analysis that was working out of St George's Park in England and providing work on all the next opposition um, wow. to uh, out to Russia. So yeah, that was, to be honest, that was like, even still now when I talk about it, it's like probably the scale of it, um, of being able to win that that, that penalty shootout at, at the World Cup when when you try and think back to what it was like, we'd never won one and we were laughing stock at them. Like that, that was a really sort of, yeah. A, a really proud a, re- moment. a, a real pinnacle of, it must be a real pinnacle of your career so far oh I massive mean, yeah 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 incredible achievement yeah yeah and I think it's you know it's one of those things where there's a lot of work in sport and football that probably goes unseen like I'm certainly not a household mm. name and I don't <laughs> don't want to be particularly <laughs> but you know no, it's, no, no. you know there's a lot of people that work with me on that project and help me deliver it and we all did it as a team as Liv said and you know it's nice to you know that personal sometimes you know if you're not you know, it's the personal satisfaction that you get out of it. And like I said, if you'd have said to, if you'd have said to, what, 14-year-old me, I would do that. I, I would never have believed you. Um, no, so, so yeah, there's a whole brain of people behind those players on the pitch. And, and yeah. it's it's an incredible, it's a huge yeah, team effort. I just think, like like you said, you know, we, we watch the TV and we see the players 
get it in the net and we think, wow, they're amazing at taking penalties. Like they're just a really they just trained really hard for it and they're just really good at taking penalties. When actually you listen to this now and you think no, you look at probably every player in the world and they could all take a penalty. You know, anyone can kick that ball yeah. into a net. But what makes the difference, you know, is people like you and in your job and how you make that difference. Well, I think one of the key things is, like you're saying, it's it, the, without going too deep into it, because obviously I don't want to give too much away. Because uh, <laughs> you know, there's some there's some performance gains, hopefully, uh, somewhere out there, whether it's for Baltimore or whoever. Um, but if you think about it, strip it back. Um, the I go back to when I first the first day on the penalty shootouts work. All I read and all I knew and all I'd heard growing up is it's a lottery. You just hear it now every time you listen to the radio or to uh, the telly. Penalty shootouts a lottery. You can never replicate the pressure. Like what's the po- like? It's so you know. It's just it's it's chance. We've you know. It's just luck, flip of a coin. And I suppose being from a psychology background, and I'm inherently firmly about this now. Like I I do not subscribe to that. In not in penalties, just penalties in anything. In I'm life, not it's some, language, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I'm, it's the I'm language. Not, I I don't believe in fate. Like, no. I don't, and that, you know, some people do, some people don't. I'm probably more of the scientist thing, nature, nurture. I'll probably learn much more to the nurture side because I believe that you're accountable for, you know, you, you like, the reason I don't go to the gym is because I don't obviously want to go that badly. <laughs> you know, there's no, <laughs> it's not because the gym's too far away. I work too many hours. I've got two young kids. I've got a wife that I want to spend time with. I've got all these things. You've got to be accountable for your you know, for your decisions. And I think what we tried to do on a high, you know, not going into too much detail, but on the penalties, a high level was you are in control of this. It's not something that's affected by just because you're English and you can't control the pressure because oh, it only happens once every four years. How can you replicate that? How can you practice that? Well, it's like, imagine if say an archer felt like that. There's not many massive archery competitions on the telly. But I tell you what, everyone watches the Olympics once every four years. Yeah, so it was every they'll four never years, be able to. Yeah. So do you reckon they only fire the arrows at the Olympics? Well, of course they don't. Yeah. So it's about taking ownership, and that was a big thing. Um, and, and yeah, Gareth spoke it, about it, that. It a is lot. absolutely, absolutely incredible what you what you achieved there. It, it really was. Um, I wonder what you would now, with the experience that you've got, and now in your position at, um, as technical performance director at Bolton what would you go back and tell your younger self what would you go back and tell young Chris or 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 for the people listening what you'd tell a young person today yeah I think the, I think I've said it a bit already um is the resilience piece like yeah. I do see a lot now particularly in young athletes like there's not as much resilience in you know in this day and age and I'm certainly certainly not um dismissing people who, who who do struggle to to show resilience or anything but i do think it is it's a skill if that makes sense you can train to be resilient it's hard and it's not pleasant but it's about being able to like you say really work through that and understand that bad things are going to happen your life isn't going to be straightforward you're going to have to show you know responses to setbacks and you look at the very very best people the very best athletes very best people, they will all have had a setback or something where they've you know where they've where they've not gained the outcome that they wanted and either you give up or you just right I'm it's going to make me how do I learn from that and how do I try harder for the next time like I said 
that's really easy to do in sport because you know, oh, we just lost 5-0, right? What did we do wrong? Work, we've got a game next Tuesday, we better work for that. But it's the same in, in any industry or any walk of life, really. Like I, I do really believe it's that resilience, you know, the very, very best in every field that, for me, when I look at them and read about them, and it's resilience, they've all shown it. Yeah, so, yeah and it's like, it's like you said, being, being accountable, like you have a choice and even, even not choosing is a choice like yeah. everyone has a choice and you know be t- taking account whether you want to give up or try again well that at the end of the day no matter how many excuses you make no matter oh no it was because of this it was because of bad weather it was because of this yeah. and that no it you know you you have that choice and you you can train your mind to block everything out and it and it's you versus you and I yeah. think people now spend too many ta- like make too many excuses and say, "Well, it wasn't my fault. It was that person's fault, or you know, it was the ground I was playing on, or it was the weather, or it was my boss, or yeah." But no, it it, it wasn't. It's how you deal with that, and that and that's your accountability. Totally, totally agree. And look, it's not could- to say that those things haven't happened. Your boss might have been awful to you, but what yeah. are you going to do? You can't change how your boss's behaviour. So you can change how you react to it. So I think that's I think that's yeah. the most powerful thing I'd say, and the fact that you know it already, live like I keep saying, like it's amazing, absolutely, <laughs> you know, <laughs> unbelievable. Like, it's crazy. I could literally talk to you all night. Have we covered your story in a in a in a roundabout way, Chris? Have we have we oh, gone through? Uh, I feel um, like I've rambled on for a while. So yeah, hopefully. Li- no, hopefully I, I absolutely have- loved it. I feel like we'll be different. We could be here for another hour. We haven't <laughs> talked about you wonderful girls. We haven't talked about your amazing wife, who is yeah. one of my dearest best friends in life um, and work. I'm yeah. absolutely privileged to know and, and be friends with both of you no, and your gorgeous girls. No, they're amazing. They, they, they are. are they, they truly are. They really are. Um, but I think my mum, she always listens to this and she says, make sure you always ask them the question. Ask them the question. <laughs> What's the memory from your school run? And obviously your girls are not at school just yet. So it's nope. probably going to be your school run that you talk about rather than a school run that you've done with them. But yeah. what's your memory that you're happy to share, Chris? Um I've been thinking about this uh, and there's one that just stands out really, really clearly. And it probably goes back to what we spoke about at the beginning. Um I'd had my parents evening probably in year 10 going into year 11 or maybe even like halfway through year 11 and uh, it wasn't great I think I got like they wanted to move me down to the lower <laughs> the lower paper at maths and I was like no um, so again I told them that I wasn't sitting in the lower paper and the teacher said I wouldn't get a B and I did um, so but I remember coming home and being really worried that I was going to get told off like for the first time thinking oh no like I'm I'm not looking forward to this journey home. It's not being good. And my mum could obviously tell uh, that I was really like a bit nervous and, and she just went, so how did you think it went? And I was like, well, do you want to tell me? Like, And she went, well, actually, um, I'm going to tell you about mine. And I went, right. And basically she was a real, turns out she was a real bit of a cheeky one at school and like she said oh I, you think yours was bad like I remember when mine was you know she used to like sabotage the teacher's science lessons and if she had a lesson outside in one of the porter cabin classrooms she'd move the clock on and you know so it was almost <laughs> her way of saying like look it, 
don't let like don't worry about it like don't let it define you don't be worried about it. don't hold on to it look what i was like like it's not part of being a person like you'll grow you'll improve and you know if you really want to you will do better and you'll get better grades and prove some of these teachers wrong that saying you can't do it so it was really like i was that was really powerful i remember the journey i remember the road i remember the car we were sat in i remember everything and like that was yeah. that was really powerful i was expecting a real roasting and I actually got a story about how she was much worse actually you're not that bad and if you want to do it you know, <laughs> it's up to you go and prove them wrong um, so yeah, that's that's my school run memory and really like a really precious one as well. That that's it is a very very precious one. Thank you for sharing that. Um, no, thank you. Thank you so much for being with us and giving you yeah. time and no, sharing this. I'm sure that it's been really really good. I think it's it's important for us to empower and inspire younger people. And there's loads of adults watching and listening. Well, listening yeah. as well, um, Chris. Um, and so that's that's really wonderful. So thank you I've for being it. here. Thank you for thank being you. our guest. No, yeah, thank you. It's been awesome. Thanks so good. much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the School Run. If this is your first time that you've listened to us, please feel free to go back and listen to some other episodes on our channel. Why are we doing this? Well, we really feel that you don't have to have it all figured out at school. The world is your oyster. There is only you in your way. So by sharing people's stories, the roles that they do, we really hope to inspire young people, empower them to fly. It's a privilege to have these conversations. They're incredibly inspiration to both Liv and myself. We really need your help, though. Thank you for your support so far. But if you could hit the follow button on the channel that you're listening to our podcast on, maybe leave us a review, give us a bit of a star rating. We would be really, really appreciative. Lots of people have already bought us a virtual coffee. You can go to www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash the school run. That's buymeacoffee.com forward slash the school run. And obviously we've got an Instagram, as Liv's already told you, at the school run underscore official. All the things that you can do to help support us would be very, very much appreciated. Please chat with a friend, share this link, and hopefully we can spread the word of the school run to lots more families and young people. Thank you so much for your support.